following recording is from the Parramatta Christian Church pulpit series. These sermons are freely available at pcc.org.au. This idea comes from Ephesians, Ecclesiastes, Ephesians 4, where Paul talks about not giving the devil any room or space or opportunity to move. And we've looked at a whole bunch of different things along the way, and we've come, I guess, to the last foothold that we're going to look at today. Next week's going to be a little bit different. We're going to have uh, more time for prayer and, and worship and ministry, because the whole point of this series has been dealing with clutter, getting rid of baggage and junk in our hearts so that we can bring our hearts before God with more space in it to fill ourselves with more of His presence and more of His life and more of His power. And that's what we've really been wanting, more of Jesus. Um, And so next Sunday, we're going to have more time in the service and space to do that. And so I want to encourage you, come prayed and come prepared and come expectant because we're really believing for God to bring breakthrough and fresh infilling of the Holy Spirit and for us to really be refreshed and encouraged and be filled to the full, overflowing with the life of Jesus because we've been dealing with this stuff and, and getting rid of baggage and creating space in our hearts for Him. And so last week, we talked about the foothold of power. And I talked about how it was different to the other ones because the other footholds we looked at primarily focused on, if you like, me being the victim of certain things, me being affected and influenced by other things. But power was really about how we have affected, offended, hurt other people. Um, And we challenged ourselves that if God brought those things to mind, to go and make those things right. And that might mean seeking forgiveness, apologizing, uh, seeking ways of making restitution and making it right. Uh, if, if we've abused our power through our words or our actions or our attitudes, uh, to bring reconciliation into those relationships where possible. So hopefully that's a bit of an introduction to bring you up to speed to where we've been journeying. This Sunday, the last foothold I want to look at is pursuits, pursuits. And what I mean by this is if you look up the definition, it's to strive to attain something. It's this idea of seeking a goal or a purpose or wanting to accomplish something, uh, striving to gain something. And that might be an, an end or a purpose or an outcome or an object. Uh, putting it very, very simply, it's chasing after someone or something. That's what we're talking about. Pursuit. Now, in and of itself, like I said about power, pursuits is not a bad thing. It's not an evil thing. Think about our career or ambition or education or, or something like that. It's not inherently bad or evil. But the way that the enemy can work in this area of our lives and our hearts is through these two different forces that kind of work alongside each other and can feed into each other. And these two things are greed and discontent. They kind of work together. Um, And they operate to bring our pursuits and bind us into enslavement through discontent and greed. Uh, Probably the best example of uh, this in recent pop culture is in the movie The Greatest Showman. Uh, Many of you might have seen this movie. Um, And in it, there's a song uh, that's quite famous. And if you don't know it, you can ask Sophia to sing it. She's quite good at singing this song. Uh, It's called Never Enough. Never Enough. And I want to read you some of the lyrics. It says this, I'm trying to hold my breath. Let it stay this way. Can't let this moment end. You set off a dream in me getting louder now. Can you hear it echoing? Take my hand. Will you share this with me? Because darling, without you. And listen to these words. 
All the shine of a thousand spotlights, all the stars we steal from the night sky will never be enough. Never be enough. Towers of gold are still too little. These hands could hold the world, but it'll never be enough. Never be enough. See, when, when the enemy feeds us with discontent and greed, he can use our pursuits to create in us this drive, this thirst, this insatiable lust for just a little bit more. Just a little bit more. And that's what we see. And interestingly, in this movie, this song is about this, this lady, Jenny, Jenny Lynn is the character. She, when she sang this, is a famous opera singer. She's met the queen. She's rich. She's influential and powerful. And she's got, what well, we would say, everything. And yet she's discontent because she doesn't have a relationship. And she longs for that. And uh, the, the main character, P.T. Barnum, is played by my good friend, Hugh Jackman, He's on a similar journey. He grew grew up in terrible poverty, and he meets this girl who comes from a rich background, and he spends his whole life trying to prove himself worthy of her to her parents. And there's this powerful scene where he's just put on this great show, and the the audience has loved it, and it brings the house down, and then they go to the after party, and his, his wife's parents come to visit, and he won't let them in. And the, the, his wife and him have this massive debate and argument at the, at the end of that scene where she's asking him this very question, when will it be enough? When will you be satisfied? When will you have proved yourself? And you think, you know what, I don't need to do this anymore. And the story continues that he's still driven. He's not content. He's not satisfied. And so he pursues uh, this woman and, and, he pers- and he risks losing everything, his family, his kids, the whole reason why he began this journey. Because he just wants something more. Just that little bit more. Ecclesiastes 5.10 puts it this way. Whoever loves money never has enough. Never has enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. This too is meaningless. Proverbs 27.10 says it this way. Or 20, sorry. Death and destruction are never satisfied. And neither are human eyes. The, the writer of the Proverbs, with his infinite wisdom, great wisdom, is articulating that our eyes are like death and destruction. They're never content, never satisfied. You see, and when you, when you kind of go and look through the Bible, you see that this idea of greed and discontent is at the heart of so many things that go wrong in the Bible. It's actually at the heart of so many things that God condemns and God is opposed to. Even in the Ten Commandments, we see that at least very clearly three of the human-related commands in that last six, they have to do with this idea of wanting more. One is about adultery. That's wanting somebody else's wife. Another one is not to steal. That's wanting somebody else's stuff. And in fact, the other one, don't, don't covet, is explicitly addressing this craving within our hearts to just want more. Our neighbor's field or our neighbor's property, coveting. Some Bible commentators believe that even the other three, murder um, and dishonoring your parents and, and telling lies, they're all rooted in this fundamental thing of just wanting more. Coveting. Greed. What's even more striking is as you look through the Bible, you begin to realize that many of the tragedies that happen in the Bible, at at their root is just this human desire for more. I mean, you just think about Genesis 3, Adam and Eve, Satan's lies that you can have more. 
You, you can know more. God is withholding from you. And then just some examples for you. When you think about Achan in, in Joshua chapter 7, we see that Israel was defeated in battle because he just held on to some stuff that he was not supposed to. He, he wanted more things, silver, gold, precious things. And he held on and, and brought defeat to the nation. We see this in David's sin with Bathsheba. In spite of having many wives and concubines, he just wanted one more. And it led to adultery and murder. We see it in uh, the prophet Elisha's servant, Gehazi. And this is a story when Naaman comes uh, and wants Elisha to pray for him to be healed of his leprosy. And, and, and God answers that prayer and heals Naaman. And, and Naaman wants to bless and give gifts. And Elisha says no, but Gehazi's heart is greedy and, and is coveting and wants stuff. And so he goes after it and, and, and it results in him being cursed with Naaman's leprosy because he just wanted stuff. And in the New Testament, we see Judas, for 30 pieces of silver, betrays the Savior of the world, the Son of God. Acts chapter 5, Ananias and Sapphira, who sell their property and bring the money, but they hold on to some. And as a result of their covetousness, their desire for more, end up lying to the Holy Spirit, which brings about their own death. And as we look through the New Testament and we think about this word greed, we, we see it appearing everywhere, and it's condemned everywhere, and, and, and the, the passages that they appear in are striking and challenging and confronting because greed and, and coveting and, and, and discontent and the desire for more and desires are often associated with the flesh, with the old nature, with false teachers, with the ungodly, with those who will experience the wrath of God. And I've given you a whole list of New Testament references in Jesus' teaching and the apostolic teaching. And greed appears in what they call vice lists throughout the New Testament, right alongside sexual immorality and lust and, and idolatry and a whole bunch of things. And sometimes we, we focus on those things and we miss this little word right in the middle there called greed. We overlook it. I want to read you one example found in Ephesians 5. Verses 3 and following. But among you, there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality. And we go, yes, we agree. Or of any kind of impurity, absolutely. Or of greed. And we kind of look over that one and we keep going. Because these are, listen to what Paul says, are improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be any obscenity or foolish talk or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving, for of this you can be sure, no immoral, impure, or greedy person, such a person is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of God, or kingdom of Christ, and of God. Verse 6, let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of such things, God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Greed is in that list. Romans 1, greed is in the same list. 1 Corinthians 6, greed is in that list. We can't escape it. This reality that God categorically condemns this craving for more pursuits. So let's talk about some of the things that our hearts long for and desire for and crave. Uh, on one level, the obvious one is money and possessions. 
I mean, a lot of the Bible talks about the dangers of money. In fact, Jesus, when he's talking about money and, and possessions and stuff, material possessions, he talked about how that is the other God that we have to choose between, serving God or mammon. But I haven't met too many people that want more money for the sake of more money. I mean, there are people like that, absolutely. But generally, most of us, we want more money because of what money provides, what money does. We've, you know, we've got sayings like money makes the world go around. And I think what, what that means is we realize how fundamental money is to life. And I think what we really crave is the security that money brings. The ability to control our lives and our future, to feel that we, we can survive in the world. Security is really what we're craving, but we long for just that little bit more. And that's obvious, but maybe there are other things that our hearts desire and long for that are a little bit more subtle and hidden. One of them might be relationships. Like I said, this woman, this character, Jenny Lind, in, in, in the movie, The Greatest Showman, she had all of that. She had money. She had fame. She had reputation. She had influence. She had all of that. But what she longed for, what she wanted more is relationship. But even then, I think it's what is behind that that really drives us. It's the longing to be loved. That's why we want relationships. Or fame. No, no, again, we, we, we think of fame as being kind of notorious out there. No, but I'm talking about more at that root level of just wanting to, to have significance, wanting to be remembered, wanting to have made a difference. And I think we, we can long for, for that sense of being known. Uh, another one might be status. Status. Again, I think what we long for is respect. See, because compared to the majority of the world, people who live in the West are considered to be millionaires. And see, at the end of the day, when we're gripped by this thing, it's not really about having a house or a car or a good education. The drive for more sometimes is to have a bigger house or a nicer car or live in a better suburb because there's more going on here than just having stuff. It's about having the right stuff. It's about keeping up with the Joneses. It's about having this respect and this status that we, we want to measure up. And there's this artificial line that we're trying to live up to. Where it's not just about the things, it's about the kind of things. And we're never satisfied because there's always someone who has better things. Popularity. Popularity, the, the desire to, to be liked. Uh, social media has made this such an addiction and a bondage just to get that thumb. Just, and and we, we want everyone to see how wonderful our lives are because there's something about that that meets a, a deep need. And maybe it's the need to just belong. Success. Uh, I think this one is a, is a trap, particularly for those of us who've come from a, a different cultural context where, you know, we've had a difficult upbringing or, you know, our, our parents really struggled. And this is about proving ourselves somehow that we've made it, that we're not like the previous generation. And we're driven by this sense of wanting to be validated. And, and we, we crave the next degree, the next promotion, the next achievement, the next accomplishment, the next trophy. And it never seems to be enough because we're looking for something more than just a success. And that craving continues. Approval. Approval. 
whether that's through our physical appearance where we pump iron or we, you know, go to plastic surgery or no matter how you know, much we try, we're never happy with our appearance because we're longing just to be accepted. We want people's approval and affirmation and to know that I'm okay. And no matter how much we try, we, we never seem to come to a point where we go, enough is enough. And I think our hearts can pursue these things. And again, in and of, the, in and of them, themselves, these, these needs that drive this up, they're genuine needs. The, the need to be loved, the need to have security, the need for significance and, and respect and, and belonging, they're not bad things. But see, what the enemy does to bring us into bondage in these areas is he says to us that there's another way for us to meet that need other than in God. That's where the bondage is. He offers us a counterfeit. He offers us... a. a our own way of achieving these needs and meeting these needs. And it's like a mirage. It's like the, the, he offers us and tempts us with a counterfeit that we buy into and we believe the lie and we chase after because we think that if I just get that, the deepest longings of my heart, the deepest satisfaction that I crave for will be met. But it's like the carrot in front of the donkey. We never actually get there. We pursue it and we pursue it and we think that the next promotion, the next new car, the next house, the next relationship, yet that will finally meet this need. And we end up enslaved and bound and living in death without even realizing it. I read a vivid illustration of this and I want to warn you because in the first service I didn't and I started telling it and people were like, this is graphic. It's, it's the way that Eskimos kill wolves in the Arctic. What they do is they get a really sharp knife, a blade, and they coat it with animal blood. They, they, they coat it and coat it and they freeze it, they coat it, they freeze it until the whole bl- the blade is covered in animal blood. And then they bury it, handled down in the ice. And in the middle of the night when the wolf packs are out, the wolf picks up the scent of the blood and it comes to that dagger and it starts licking it. And as it tastes the blood of this animal, it, it, it feeds into its, its carnivorous cravings. It taps into that animal instinct, and it just starts licking and licking and licking. And eventually, that popsicle starts to wear out. And now, that wolf is licking a blade that has nothing protecting it, and it begins to cut its own tongue. But because of this wolf's craving and its lust for more and more blood, it doesn't even realize that now it's being satisfied by its own blood. And the Eskimo comes in the morning and finds that wolf dead right next to that dagger because it's bled out. See, the way the enemy binds us is exactly like that. He offers a counterfeit. He says, this will satisfy you. And we buy into it and we believe and and we, we lap at it and we lap at it and we lap at it. And before we realize it, we're actually damaging ourselves and we don't even realize it. We're enslaved and we're bound because we're insatiably desiring more and more and more and more. See, this morning, as we look at this foothold, I I want to focus on some practical things because I think, like power, this one is different. In that, most of the other footholds we've looked at have dealt with things in our past. But this one deals with stuff that we struggle with right now and will continue to struggle with unless we choose different ways of relating in the world. And so I want to take us to 1 Timothy where Paul addresses the very heart of this issue. And he speaks 
to Timothy and the church that Timothy was leading in the context of money primarily. And in 1 Timothy 6, Paul is talking about false teachers who pursue financial gain. And then he begins to give instructions that I think he he gives us some really powerful keys of how we can break through the bondage of pursuit and greed and discontent. And it's found in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 6 to 12. And it says this, But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world and we take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Those who want to get rich, they fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. But you, man of God, flee from all this and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called when you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses. I want to give you three keys you know, from 1 Timothy 6 that will help us to, to deal with this foothold of pursuits and greed and, and covetousness. Number one, recognize the dangers. Paul makes it very clear here in verse 9, those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. The love of money, he says, is the root of all kinds of evil. And some people eager for money have even wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Paul is saying, recognize the danger of living a life that constantly pursues more. There there is only death at the end of that road. There is only destruction at the end of that road. There is no life there. And unless we recognize that that is the danger, we will keep pursuing more. Recognize the dangers. The, the second thing he, he says here that helps us is to reframe our perspective, to think about this stuff and what it means to have a, a successful life or a, or a good life in a different way. And he says that godliness, verse 6, with contentment is actually what's great gain. He says, change your perspective rather than thinking that it's the next job or the next relationship or the next thing or the next car or the next house or whatever it is, is what's going to bring you gain and satisfaction. No, he says, godliness and contentment is actually the very thing that you're looking for. You need to reframe your perspective and see your life differently. Verse 7, he says, another thing you need to do is to realize that everything that you're pursuing is temporary everything. He says, you brought nothing into the world and you can take nothing out of it. At, at your funeral, nobody's going to care what car you drove or where you lived or what house you had or how big your flat screen TV was or how many degrees you have. They're, they're just not going to care. And Paul saying, reframe your perspective. Kind of see your life. Jesus said, your life is much more than the accumulation of your stuff. But we buy into our culture's mindset and we don't actually believe that that's true. And Paul says, reframe your perspective. Remember that everything is temporary. No matter what it is you're pursuing, it's temporary. You didn't bring it in and you won't take it out. 
Naked you came into the world, and you'll go out in probably a, a box. Temporary. Verse 8, he says, but if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Be thankful. Be, be thankful. Paul is saying, if you have food and clothing, then we will be content with that. Think about your life, how much more you have than just food and clothing. See, sometimes I think we're so preoccupied with all the things we don't have that we don't actually thank God and we're not grateful for the things we do have. And so Paul says you, you need to reframe your perspective. If you just have food and clothing, man, you're doing all right. You're doing really well. You should be content with that. How about you actually stop and go, God, these are all the things I have that are far above just food and clothing. And I'm so grateful. I'm so thankful for this stuff. The third key that he gives Timothy here, he says, I want you to pursue other things. Redirect your pursuit. He says in verse 11, but you, man of God, flee from all this. In other words, run the other way. Don't be preoccupied with this stuff. Flee from all this and pursue. There's that word. He says, I want, I want to tell you what you should be pursuing. Pursue things that really matter. Redirect your pursuits into things that actually profit and will gain and will make your life better. Things like righteousness and godliness and faith and love and endurance and gentleness. Pursue God by fighting the good fight and taking a hold of eternal life. He says, don't, don't buy into your culture. Don't buy into this idea that just a little bit more is going to meet the deepest longings of your heart. That's a lie. Pursue real life. Pursue what really matters. Pursue these things. And then from verse 17 onwards to 17 and 19, Paul actually gives us some practical keys of how we can do this. How can we redirect our pursuits? Because it's not enough just to say to someone, well, don't pursue that. Just, just don't pursue the stuff. Don't just, you know, just don't pursue the stuff of this world. It's not enough to do that because our hearts are naturally drawn to that stuff because we're trying to meet the deepest longings of our heart. You see, it's like when you have a, a little toddler or they're crawling around and they're heading towards something you don't want them to touch, whether that's your phone or a remote control or a PowerPoint or whatever. Just telling that child, don't do that or stop is not going to do it. But you stand there and you hold a rattle or you, you know, another toy and say, hey, yeah, yeah, play with this. That's a more effective strategy to redirect their pursuit than just saying, don't, don't, don't follow that. Because when you say that, nine out of ten times they're going to do exactly that. And see, Paul knows that. And so he's saying, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you some practical things to help you redirect your pursuit. He says in verse 17, Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant or to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain. So uncertain. He's saying, look, the thing that you're pursuing, whatever that thing is, realize if you put your hope in that, you will be disappointed. It won't satisfy that need. You, you won't get what you're looking for. No matter how big your nest egg is or your superannuation, one financial crisis and it's gone. No matter how healthy you think you are, how fit you are, sickness can come knocking on your door and change everything. No matter how strong or well-built or whatever your house might be, a fire can destroy everything in a moment. That's what Paul's saying. It's so insecure. Why would you put your hope in things 
And he says the alternative is to trust God. He says, put your hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. See, what Paul is saying is, here's how I want you to reorient. Don't trust the insecure. Trust the secure. Trust the the one who is your heavenly Father, who knows your every need and will provide, he says. Trust Him and not just provide your needs, but He provides things for your enjoyment. See, the problem is, and this is the lie that the devil always tells us, because that's what he told Adam and Eve, God is holding out on you. God is holding back His best from you. But Paul says, no, our Heavenly Father provides for our enjoyment, which means when God says, that's enough, maybe we should trust our Father, that He knows what brings us our greatest enjoyment and our greatest joy. Enough. And rest in Him and our our Father who, who, who knows us and loves us and wants the best for us. Verse 18, he says, you, you want to deal with this greed thing, this coveting thing, this discontent? Then give. He says, do good. Be rich in good deeds. Be generous and willing to share. Nothing undercuts greed like generosity. Nothing. You want to break the power of greed over your life? Be generous. Do good. Be willing to share. That is a powerful way to overcome this bondage. The last thing he says is, don't settle for a counterfeit. In verse 19, he says, in this way, they will lay up treasures for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take a hold of the life that is truly life. You see, so often we settle for the counterfeit. We settle for the imitation. And Paul says, no, don't buy into the lie. Pursue real life, the real life that God wants you to have, which is only found in Jesus. John 10.10, Jesus said, I came to give life and give it to you to the full. But we don't actually believe that. And Paul says, no, you're settling for the counterfeit. You're settling for the imitation, but it's in Jesus. Jesus in Matthew 16, he said, said it this way. He said, what does it profit? What does it gain? for you to inherit the whole world, to receive the whole world, to receive everything that your heart longs for and desires if you lose your soul in the process. What have you really gained? Which is why in that passage, he goes on to say, if you want to follow me, it means that you need to lay it all down. You need to deny yourself. You need to take up your cross and you need to pursue me. You need to follow me because Real life is found in me. And like the New Testament says, in the Son there is life, and without the Son there is no life. That's just how simple it is. If you want life, real life, true life, soul-satisfying life, it's only found in Jesus. And Jesus is the one, according to 2 Corinthians 8 9, who had everything, who does own the whole world, who actually is the owner of the whole universe, and He lays it all down for you to pursue you to the cross, to pursue me to the cross, to to put aside everything. And in in 2 Corinthians, Paul says, He became poor. He emptied Himself. He, He became nothing so that He could pursue us to the cross and lay down His life so that we can receive the life, real life that's only found in Him. So we can receive forgiveness and grace and mercy and compassion. So we can become the children of God. And so we can, like Ephesians 1 says, be blessed with every spiritual blessing so that we can be redeemed and adopted into God's family so that we can have an eternal hope and an eternal inheritance. As Paul says here, eternal life. 
that transcends just the here and the now, that is not just temporary but eternal. And it's found in Jesus. It's found in Him, which is why Jesus told the parable that of this guy who's wandering around and he trips over this treasure in this field and, and he realizes the, the incredible value of it. And so what does he do? He goes away and he sells everything that he has, everything that he has to make enough money to buy this field because he realized that if I get that treasure, I'll have everything that I'm looking for. And everything else I have does not compare to the treasure. Jesus is that treasure. But I wonder if we see Jesus that way. I wonder if we see that he's the pearl of great price. He is the one that it's worth denying, leaving, forsaking everything else just so we can have him. Unless we delight in Jesus that way, unless we find our satisfaction and our joy in Jesus that way, we will forever be craving other things. Which is why Paul in Colossians 3, he said this, set your mind on, set your heart on things above. Set your mind on things above where Christ is, not on earthly things. And he said that, for you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, who is real life, who is eternal life, when he appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. You see, your soul will truly be satisfied in Jesus alone. It's like that old song used to say, turn your eyes upon Jesus and the things of earth will grow strangely dim. Why? In the light of His glory and grace. That's what God wants us to do this morning, to bring our hearts before Him in, in honesty and say, God, I have pursued other things but I want to find the longing of my heart, the deepest longing of my soul in Jesus. Help me to reorient my pursuit, to pursue the things that really matter. Why don't you bow your heads and allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you. Father, I just invite your Holy Spirit to come and speak into our hearts. Lord, as challenging it as it might be, will you help us to see the things that you want us to see? In Jesus' name. Father, I confess that I have sinned against you through my greed and discontent. I have pursued and desired other things more than you. I have looked to these things to satisfy my deepest longings and needs instead of trusting you. I repent of my sin. Just take a moment to just name whatever God's shown you. Let's continue. And renounce every foothold that I have given the devil through these pursuits. Please forgive me and release me from any bondage that has come into my life. Thank you, Lord, that you alone are the source of true life and satisfaction. Thank you that Jesus became poor and pursued me to the cross so that I can become rich. Please help me to trust you and pursue you above all other things. I want to set my heart and mind on Jesus 
so that I can live in the fullness of life that is only found in you. In Jesus' name, amen. Father, we thank you for the freedom we have in Jesus. Free us from the bondage of pursuits that we might live in the fullness of life that Jesus came to give. May your peace and your grace rest on us as we go. In Jesus' name, amen. If you'd like prayer for anything this morning, please come and let us pray with you. Stick around and say hello to someone. God bless you.